0: More to serve a goat door, a door, some mars <laughs> and wooden hussar. Not more to serve a goat door, wooden wooden hung, Consider this teaching of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. Um, there are many aspects and things that one can reflect upon out of this, this presentation. Um, there's a kind of basic template of uh, spiritual practice. which can lead off in, in different directions and cover um, the aspects of our life emotional life psychological life spiritual life relationships where we think how our minds work what we do with our bodies what we do with our speech and why Towards the ending of incompleteness the ending of loss alienation longing, separation so in a way you know it's it's uh, the way that the the teaching is expressed it's a kind of like it has certain features to it so first of all it's it's very systematic you notice know, it it's got the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, and each of the Four Noble Truths are each cultivated in, in, um, different, in, in different ways. There's this 12 aspects of the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, uh, and these kinds of things that you begin to notice about it. Um, so it's, it's quite systematic. The Buddha seemed to have, over a period of time, evolved a whole kind of structure to the way he presented and encourage people, there were two, if you like, um, the basic teaching is always called a graduated teaching, so beginning with where a person was, where they already were established, and then saying, well, if you, what about this, and how do you think about this, and then lead, leading them on from where they, where they were already clear in their own minds, do you think this is good or this is better? and say well this seems better and then if you do this isn't it better like that and so on and um, generally through the teachings are expressed first of all in the the quality of of what a person knows to be good and uplifting and simply expression of good karma generosity generosity in terms of material goods generosity in terms of heart a so generosity is something that People feel good with it. Makes you feel good. It's expensive. It's uh, it's grand. It's uplifting. It's both good for yourself. It's good for others. It's not a goodness that detracts from anything. It's not accumulative. You know, to, you know. It's, it's it's going very much the right way. Yeah. And then the the, the, the uh, virtue when we begin to consider well, what's you know what would I not like to have happened to me? And then, why should I do that to any other creature? What are the causes? And then begin to understand causes and effects. What happens if I drink? I drink alcohol. Maybe it's nice at the, at the present moment, or then does it feel like a few hours later? And what are the kind of actions that arise from it? Maybe just kind of silliness or casualness, or something actually far more uh, painful than that. What kind of company do I keep? What kind of relationships do I establish? What happens to my wealth if I get involved with it in this kind of um, habits? Aren't, aren't there better things I can do with my material resources and my time? Just looking you begin to understand cause and effect, which which brings the mind out of just the immediate quality of the sensual stimulation of something. Just not, does it feel, does it feel good right now? So the generosity of recognizing feeling good, but then does it feel good now, then how does it feel later on, what are the results where does it come from so a person is encouraged to reflect and consider the wisdom aspect of the the practice, and then um, things that are are more difficult for people to for human beings to undertake is a sense of, of recognizing that the sensory stimulation which is such a a kind of trigger for our well-being, of what we aim for, is quite unreliable and isn't even particularly um, healthy. It's just living for sensory stimulation is is draining and even degrading. And this is something that, uh, you know really requires one to recognize the, the goodness of generosity and the, and the clarity of, of ref, wise reflection to be able to see this sensory stimulation as something rather lesser than that and, and then even perhaps um, slightly you know um, um degrading and, and then something that one actually then the renunciation or the, which is a very difficult thing for human beings to take on um In in any in any level renunciation, you know, just because of the the kind of the systems that we're born into, sensory systems are about having and holding and accumulating. So it takes a lot of it takes a kind of fruition of goodness, of feeling good, of feeling the the, the highest kind of goodness, of things that we give out rather than things we suck in, and the goodness is 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 a is connected to our ethical state of mind rather than to the, just the impact on a nervous system of, of external impressions. So this is the way that the Buddha taught like this in this kind of, of way. Um, asking a person, taking a person on and presenting this way of, of systematically feeling it out, checking it out and looking for what where there's uh, a the highest degree of goodness and completion in oneself this is very important to 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 recognize the and get in touch with the the goodness the good heart that carries us on so when you you know so it has to be felt out when you say something like uh, well, be be generous, be kind. One okay, that's one idea. Yeah, and then give this up. Well, maybe that's another idea. You take it on as ideas. Then you don't actually get the quality and the feeling from it, what it's, what it's about. So the teaching has to be experienced, felt out, made made real, fully experienced for it to, for it to, for it to to, to work. And it works in terms of a kind of a movement, like a wave, a gathering wave, which one enters through, first of all, in a sense of some sense of faith and trust, and just trying out the willingness to experiment and acknowledge, say, that the quality of goodness in oneself has something that's not, is sort of primary or before the personality gets in the way with its Patterns of scheming and manipulation and calculating and and worrying and feeling uncertain and dreading and then feeling confused about itself and all this kind of kerfuffle that goes on on the personality level, just to recognise and really trust in the good heart as the vehicle, and it's not something that is um, you know it is an, just an idea. And without without this, then the, the, this is this is if you like the the wave or the full momentum of the process of dharma that it gets stronger and the more you enter into it, it's like, it is like entering a wave, it gets bigger, and it, it eventually lifts you up and it carries you. Um, and without without that effect, without the fact that it actually does a lift and carry, carry you along, it really would not be um, a spiritual or religious thing, it would just be a kind of bit of engineering, if you like. But but to realise there is something vaster that we can get in touch with, that, that can lift us up and carry us to a to a place that's in, inconceivable, in, that's not measurable, where the whole personality system that we so endorse and act upon, it just doesn't have to function. You know, it, it's not, not that you annihilate it, but it, it just doesn't. It's just put to one side. One has entered a deeper truth, and if this is ecstatic, and we say literally the word ecstasy means to stand outside of, to to move out of that kind of that that stressful and uh, uncertain uh, realm of personality, it, 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 is an ex, it is finally is an ecstatic experience, and yet it's a measured kind of ecstasy. It's not a wild. Lunatic or rabid ecstasy—it's a kind of measured, steady, lowering uh, um, uh, feeling out, and and, li- and uh, rather as one learns to swim, kind of feeling out the water, feeling out the currents, knowing the depth, learning trust, then taking one foot off the bottom, and then you know, and then gradually realizing, yes, this stuff does lift you. So it's a measured ecstasy. It's not a kind of uh, like a anything that's manic or. But it is, it is finally, it's kind of ecstatic, blissful. And though the, the, the scriptures do present us with many d- descriptions of, of the kind of misery that people can, can, can uh, concoct for themselves, and the weaknesses and hindrances and defilements, it's also very liberally strewn with, um, with many different levels of bliss, joy, uh, delight, uh, um, happiness, calm, peacefulness, tranquility, to, 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 to where the language just begins to f- fail in its ability to actually relate to the kind of um, happinesses, heavenly realms, blissful states that, that are possible for a human being. To the highest kind of bliss, which is actually just you know blows the fuses on the ling- linguistic system altogether if so this, this, this. Then if one begins to, to consider the path like this. We, then we are both uplifted with faith and with trust, and with a sense of eagerness in its in its consummate joy and fulfilment. And also realizing, yeah, but it's not. There is a measured and careful way to get in touch with this, to to encourage it, to nurture it, until eventually it gets big enough to pick us up. So this is the, the the graduated teaching and the whole process of dhamma, the eightfold path. Um, this is kind of systematic approach, and to recognise that, that when the Buddha taught the eightfold path, sometimes he actually taught the tenfold path. So yeah, and the other two factors after the eightfold path that we're familiar with are what's called um, right knowledge or real, comprehend, not intellectual knowledge, but really comprehending um, so the mind understands knows what's happening is with that and then right release well that one is per- perfectly released, freed, um, you know lifted out if you like Pl- the, the metaphor has to do with um, the deathless or nibbana, are those of plunging of leaping into of um, this kind of ecstatic uh, experience. Um, just like you say that the uh, you know a skilled musician when they learn to play a, a horn or a trumpet know how to make the keys, but fine you know and the blow down it to make the sound, but finally the note that comes that, that leaves the instrument is like a is ecstatic. It just leaves the instrument altogether. You know, it comes from having fairly finely tuned it, right knowledge, right release. So the eightfold path or the tenfold path, the eightfold path is more commonly understood and talked about, Um, and this is is, uh, you know uh, something that to bear in mind. It's not a sevenfold path, not a fivefold, no, certainly not a onefold path, (laughs) Uh, and so it does require these these path factors. And then it seems that what arises out of the eighth or out of Samadhi is something that, if you like, you, you progress, you work so far with Samadhi, and then Samadhi itself is a kind of like a fire, or something that just that, that has a power of its own to, to propel, to, to, to give this realization experience of knowing, and then the release experience if it's properly if Samadhi is properly cultivated. So as one practices, as one lives one's day, then having the Eightfold Path as a guide is, is something to, to make full use of. Do I practice right view? Do I practice right thought? Do I uh, practice right speech? Right action? Right livelihood? Do I practice right effort? Right mindfulness? Right samadhi? Right connectedness of mind, yeah. and uh, this this process of inquiry in this systematic way is something also the Buddha encouraged. Am I one who has penetrated to right view? Do I hold views that are depressing, that don't lift me up, that are make life seem pointless and frustrating, or do I hold views that that make me feel yes, it is possible, I can. There is there is. Uh, development there is practice there is good karma there are skillful results in time and it's in time you know in, in this in this day or in this year or in this life or in this millennium you know if you take on the kind of whole process of births that what i do, you know that you take it on like that You're not saying well i want it now <laughs> you know it's like do does do i does what i do now is this good or not to, to bear results at this time or in the future. And with these considerations, then, um, how we use them also. Um, so they are, they're not things that you kind of worry about. And, you know, oh, do I, oh, I don't practice the right speech, I'm not very good at that, oh dear, I'll it again, I'm hopeless, you know. then Then we're not using it correctly to say, so, okay, if you've if you got it wrong, then right now you, you have to, can you start? And then put aside that which is unskillful, bring up what's skillful, develop it. It's like that. Acknowledge where it's gone wrong. Try to understand, look into that. What sets, why is it, what sets that up? And then what sets up right speech? Do I practice that way? Not, uh, you know, am am I, and the other way that this, uh, another uh, kind of way of of contemplating is what we call the path and the fruit. That is, am I working towards developing right speech anyway? I haven't actually perfected it. Am I having a go at it? (laughs) Have I completely given thrown the towel in on right speech, or am I at least sort of on the path towards getting it, you know? then this is something to, to consider. As yes, I am on the path towards it, and so on, towards right livelihood, towards right effort. Am I someone who understands the need for right effort, recognises that they haven't fulfilled the factors of right effort, but is interested and, and concerned with fulfilling them, the effort to, to, main, to bring up that which is good, to maintain and strengthen it, what is good, to put... To relinquish what's bad and to to protect oneself from um, unskillful actions, this effort, this kind of vigor, this connectedness, this commitment. So, just having these is like a, a like a, a, a mnemonic, where it's easy, you can run through your mind and consider. Right, you know. So, it's always a possibility. And, if, um, and just to train oneself to consider that way, there are, of course, a million things the mind can be doing in a day. <coughs> just to train oneself, one's mind to to bring up that reflection and concern itself like that is already a, a therapeutic. And it's it's saying it's it's, it's giving a, it's not letting the mind just spray and spatter all over the place. Uh, it's, it's containing it, it's already saying, hey, this is a place for training, this is something that can be trained, there is goodness here, it can be brought up. And uh, when no, when we forget it's because we get absorbed into doing things, into being something, into... Worrying about ourselves, how we are and how we're not, in a, in, a, in a useless way. You know, dwelling in guilt or pride or conceit, or doing the same thing about others, dwelling in negative thoughts about others, infatuations, um, and so on, conceit and views about other people, about things in the future that we don't know, things that are really not what we're in touch with and not, not really germane to, to, the, to our own lives. Um, and you, you know, those of you who have kind of you looked down the list of the things the Buddha determined as, as, as subjects that weren't worth talking about, <laughs> you know, there's an enormous list of things that weren't worth talking about. Well, if you're, you're talking about a tenth of that kind of, uh, of, of cultivation... Then just to recognise there are things that are just not worth talking about, and these are the things that mostly people like to talk about because <laughs> <laughs> they do provide a kind of warm, fuzzy blanket of disconnectedness from from, <laughs> from reality. You know, you talk about football and weather, and you know, the, just the uh, number of anacondas left in, the, in Brazil, and you know, the nature of what life is like on the other side of Jupiter, and, you know, heroes and world talk and talk about ghosts and so on. Um, These are things that people like talking about, because they are, they kind of cover up, they act as as a pleasant padding around the uncertainty of life, um, the fragility of life, um, some of the hurt uh, wounds of our hearts and minds. And some of the the anxiety uh, that occurs when you meet people, the uncertainty, the trying to find a common ground. You have these personality systems that are desperately fragile, And, and 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 trying to mesh with something else, and find assurance and reassurance, and be welcomed and feel fit in, and be okayed and reassured, and. Made to look like they're getting places and so on. They're, they're endlessly hungry for that. So very often the social world is one of kind of tossing tidbits to each other's personalities, to so, like buns to the bears. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you know it's it's all right. You can it's it's uh, there's something. It's better than throwing rocks at each other. <laughs> And maybe, you know, to a certain extent, this is kind of okay. You know, you notice that even it's a human realm, and even in these kind of very terse descriptions, the Buddha was, obviously it's not someone listening to a whole lot of social chit-chat, and yet there's always the descriptions of when people come to see, and they said, the, there's this, obviously this period where they're just kind of passing pleasantries, because then, then the, the teaching begins with, when the amiable and courteous talk had been finished... Then, <laughs> what this and courteous talk was about, probably it was about heroes, <laughs> ghosts, <laughs> the state of the world, quality of mangoes in Bihar, or whatever. <laughs> and it was years, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, then, and now, you know. So something that just kind of gets a feeling of, you know, sort of softening, it's not softening the immediate impact, is right? <clears throat> all right. You know, it's just that when it becomes a whole distraction. In one's life. Yeah. Now, when you consider the path, then recognise that it is—it's it's all fitting; it all fits together, and so we can um, say, "How does one's view or effort? How does that? How does that?" Help and support Samadhi, for example, how does one 's speech and action help how does that help support samadhi how does one 's practice of mindfulness how does that th- how does that help and support one 's one 's speech you know it should all be of one thing so that it 's not like some factors going one way and some factors are going another they all line up, and there's this sense of of uh, a wheel and that the, the the factors that we mentioned first are those that are necessary and foundational and Supportive of of factors that are mentioned later, and then consider if we look at from the point of view of, of samadhi, of collected collectedness and calm, peaceful mind, and mindfulness, which is a process of clear attention and a kind of uh, discriminative awareness, uh, dispassionate, discriminative awareness. Then, how do, I, how do what we do and think and say? How does that support? those qualities there is support in both the, the ethical the primary support is, the, is this, the good heart that is developed through uh, right thought right speech and right action Um, the good heart, the sense of of confidence and trust in oneself and faith in this this goodness of human beings this I would say is the first feature it's something that we begin to recognize and relate to and we can share that when we come together here in in a monastery like this you can realize whatever else we're about we all have this this is the thing that we should acknowledge in each other this is the thing we should trust in each other so that instead of, you know, seeing each other with critical eyes, we should begin to look at each other with, this is a person of good heart. This is a, this is my brother or sister in this particular attribute to this extent. Try to talk to them like that. Try to see that in them, rather than this is this, you know, creep who's always late or his <laughs> incompetent so-and-so to do this. <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, and... Uh, that's that's if you like, that's the first feature because then if you see this in yourself and you see this within other, within others, then um you begin to your mind settles in to something that feels happy and has well being, rather than unsettled, grumpy, crotchety and miserable and feeling always resentful or fed up. Or you know, you can't incompetent fools around here, you can't trust anyone like that. Which is not going to lead to sati or samadhi. It leads just to ill will and restlessness. And so that is that um, recognition is, is very important, and to do things that, that honour that, and to live up to that in yourself. You know, not to not to slight one's actions, and to really feel you follow up those actions. It also is helpful in that uh, one is able to begin to, to see more clearly and intimately the difference between good and bad, wholesome and unwholesome, yeah, not, not from some abstract judgmental way, but, but really feel the difference. What makes you feel whole is wholesome. What makes you feel bitter, regretful, broken up, unsettled? This is unwholesome. It doesn't make you feel whole. You always something's wrong, and this isn't that, and there's not enough of this, and she's like this, it's like that. Your mind is, is jittering and fragmented. So you get that sense of both of, of of feeling good, and also this this analysis, this way of of, of analysing in terms of, of perceived and experienced realities rather than judgments. Um, and from such seemingly modest and humble beginnings, the Buddha himself spoke on occasions of proceeding from that from not such beginnings like looking into my mind and considering which kinds of ways of thinking are concerned with cruelty, which kinds of ways of thinking are concerned with with uh, non cruelty. Which kinds of ways of thinking and acting are concerned with with uh, loving kindness which kinds of ways of thinking are concerned with with sourness and ill will and then what if I should divide and put aside these and enhance these just that you know what if I should put aside what if I should put aside these harmful thoughts recognize them feel their distastefulness and then deliberately put them aside and put up Pick up something else instead. This is, uh, you know, intellectually this is not a terribly complicated or original way of conceiving things, and yet to do it again gives you the the understanding of what is the key feature of the path. Is that consistency? That, that consistency to keep seeing things, keep seeing your life in those ways, and this is very important because you know the appearance of life is so. It's such an illusion. It's always changing. And now we're doing this, and, and it's so different from what we were doing yesterday. And now we're sitting here like this. It's so different from when we were out on the work site with the hammers and bashing things around, the sun was beating down, we were so, you know, a cup of tea came round, It was lovely to stop for a cup of tea. And it's a totally different experience than this, isn't it? And this is in the same place, with the same group of people. Uh, the people who visit here... You know, well this is very different from, you know, working in Winchester or, you know, whatever you do for a living with the people you do you work with, who are saying their kind, the way they speak and act. Very, very different. So this is very challenging because the set of values that you feel completely confident and assured about when you sit quietly <laughs> here, you don't get any reference to them. So, you have to, it's very important when you're building up your refuge to be able to, to use the times when you are here and you, you, you do connect or you read or you listen to a tape to actually really, you know, use that to strengthen that, that faculty of what is harmful, what is good, you know, in my way of thinking. No matter what people are doing to me or what's going on does a feeling of resentment and you know and bearing a grudge. Does that make me feel good or not? And then next time it happens, not to say it won't happen, but the next time it happens, to notice it and see if you can really notice it, and then let it go. Just notice it, let it go. That you know, and it's it's and when the Buddha is saying this, you know, I notice these feelings of cruelty in the mind. I think this is quite helpful to say, recognising this, not saying, I never felt any, You know, I never understood what cruelty is about, not me. <laughs> but actually knowing what ill will and, and, and malice and dismissiveness and abrupt, you know, shove-off behaviours about. Uh, and then, you know, feeling it out, I don't like this, put it aside, pick up this. But then being prepared to to cap, to really keep that going. That's the effort. That's the right effort. The right view is that the path is like this. The right effort means not just kind of like one hour a week, but really something that, however seemingly, you know, mundane, you carry along. You keep it going because it's like that. If you keep something simple going, it, and it's and it's the right thing, it must go the right way. So you and you can't you can't shortcut it. You can't say, well forget about, you know, right view, right effort, right thought, right line. Just give me some samadhi. <laughs> you can't do that. You know, so you you know, well, then of course most of your daily life is just wretched if you only consider the path to be one factor. So because if you if you think is like that, then most of your days is, is just not relevant you have a little kind of slot at the end of the week where you do your spiritual bit because you you've divorced spirituality from the process of thinking of taking responsibility for the way you think and speak and act and that's fatal but even the humble levels of thought and speech and action properly carried out properly born in mind must be conducive to these kind of loftier you know, states uh, samadhi and banya wisdom and release. They must go that way. And this is, um, you know, when you do a bit of meditation, then you can al- you can also lose sight of that, and not and so, you know, I think quite commonly it can be the case when it does meditation, then you don't want to bother to, to talk and act and speak and so on. you kind of divorce the lower factors from the upper factors of the path. It's all, don't bother me. You you get cruel and dismissive about about, um, the kind of ordinary life. And so because you like that ordinary life is a waste of time and boring and dull and irritating and so on, because you don't practice with it. But it is one path one way and it's one wave that comes in, however humble the ripple is, until it swells and becomes mighty enough to lift you. So I've noticed myself that actually being you know, being willing and having good heart in my actions, even though my actions may be quite, you know, not terribly introspective. I like think I you know lift bricks around and mix up cement or Uh, go to meetings and deal with all kinds of conceptual stuff that's not, you know, you could say isn't about the here and now, you know, planning and these kinds of meetings. But if the heart is good enough and one does his thing with right view and with good heart, then when that stops, when it stops that activity, it stops. And the good heart is there and then one can dwell in it and one more readily goes into clarity and peacefulness and happiness of mind, when the mind is happy and peaceful, it easily concentrates. If I go through these things in a kind of begrudging way, or this is all a waste of time way, then it doesn't stop when I get to the end of the of the work or the meeting. The mind can go, you know, well, waste, well, I, waste so I wasted four hours today, and you know, the other, and I proceed to waste another six hours moaning about it. What rotten deal I got, and you know how I'm supposed to you know, when you get enlightened like this kind of thing. But it, this is this is this is obscene, really. As if the world is set up purely for my well-being. Mm-hmm. Then, you, particularly when you, your mind can be so, so really unhappy and miserable, and then you consider the plight of most human beings, let alone other animals, creatures on the planet. And it's really, you know, we are living in a, a very comfy, blissful little, little scene here in, this, in Britain. And certainly in this monastery, very, very comfy little place. But as we, as we recognize the big difficulty for human beings is renunciation. And this this is this element of the path is is paramount. Also, as we develop the good heart, we the good heart in tandem with the ability, because of that good heart, to to relinquish. We don't need this. It's not important. You know, you feel you feel good. You feel complete in yourself. You don't need this. And also, because you feel good in yourself, you don't mind taking this on. So, you renounce things not in a kind of. Dismissive way, or a way that's that's trying to make yourself into an ascetic, but because the clinging, the clinging feature, the kind of neediness, is is dissipated, or is alleviated, or worn down, one needs to have less, or you can look at it another way. There are two there are two particular kinds of need. One is to have lots of things and to, to get things and to be things and the other kind of need is to be left alone and to be um, you know it's to be removed from things. The bhava and vibhava movements of the mind when renunciation the renunciation of, of those factors. So renunciation in a way is then a kind of another expression of a kind of a fulfillment and a generosity. And one can, you know, renounce the need to be Special and private, and left alone, and and you know treated with kid gloves and all this kind of thing, you where know, my, my you know my sensitivities must be respected at all times.